Well, just a little bit to set this up. Remember, Jesus is hours away from being betrayed by his friends. And he sits now with this group of 11. He is teaching them about what life will be like after he leaves. He doesn't just mean his death, but after he dies, something they, they can't understand all about. After he raises him, after he rises from the dead, something they for sure don't understand anything about. And then after spending time back on the earth, uh, he will ascend to his father. And Jesus is speaking to them to encourage them. Now, one thing we want to look at tonight, I'd like to put it like this. If you were to go to the bookstore over there and go through like the self-help section, you would find hundreds of titles about how you can live to your potential. Uh, it's, it's all the rage right now to write books about how you can truly find yourself and how you can truly be happy. That's not just from a non-Christian perspective, of course. That's also within a Christian perspective, too. But most of it goes something like this. You know, if you, if you want to sort of find your ultimate meaning, you need to look inside. You need to find out who you truly are and live in line with who you think you ought to be. And to the degree that you're doing that, the world will be a better place and everything will, you know, yeah, this is it. the world will be a better place. I think it's an interesting question. When I was, when I was in college, um, the, I was telling the leadership team that the question was often phrased like this. If you want to find out what the world needs, and this is the way it went, was don't ask yourself what the world needs. Uh, ask yourself what makes you come alive because what the world needs is what makes you come alive. Now, some of y'all might have that tattooed on like your back or something, so I'm about to make fun of it. Uh, just don't tell me you have a tattoo of that on your back. Um, but that makes really no sense at all. And let me tell you why. Because what that means is, is that, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe it makes sense. The point is, is this. It's trying to answer a question. It's trying to answer a question, y'all. And the question is, how in the world, how in the world can we be the sort of people that the world needs? It's an interesting question. You can listen to TED Talks on it. You can read books on it, YouTube videos, all the sort. The answers will be there. And here's the thing. I would like to suggest to you tonight that Jesus has an answer to that question as well. The question being, what is it going to take or how do we become, for those followers of Jesus, what does it look like to become the sort of people that the world needs? And tonight, Jesus is going to say it comes by bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Now, a few things we need to understand about bearing fruit before we get in. You need to understand that Jesus has taken up an extended metaphor of a vine dresser, which would be this person who cares for a vine. The vine and grapes. Fruit. But he's applying this to the life of his followers. So you need to understand that. But here's the other thing you need to understand is that if you were a first if you were in that group of original disciples your ears would have perked up think about it like this you know how you always hear these dog whistles that dogs can hear frequencies that people can't you know, it's like they, they you know they come to you or whatever their ears would have been tuned to this frequency of the of imagery of the vine of the vine the vine was an image that was all throughout Jewish life and culture. It was all throughout the Old Testament. And the vine represented the corporate people of God known as Israel. The vine was a representation. It was a metaphor for the people of God. And whenever the vine imagery is picked up, 
it is always spoken of as Israel is reflecting of that vine. That's very important since we're going to come back to it. Israel itself was actually a vine. And let me ask, let me say one more thing. You have to understand this. If you were to go to uh, St. Louis with us in the fall, me and my wife, my wife's family is from St. Louis. And every fall we go to this orchard and we pick apples and there's pumpkins there as the fall fruit and fall vegetables are coming in. But if you, if you go to an orchard, the whole point of an apple tree is to what? It's to bear fruit. That's the whole reason that they're planted. That's their entire purpose, is to bear fruit. And you must understand that that is what Jesus wants to get across tonight to us. So tonight, we are going to consider, we are going to consider what it looks like to bear fruit. And so we want to look at it underneath a couple different headings. First of all, what is bearing fruit? Secondly, how bearing fruit happens. And then thirdly, lastly, why it matters that we bear, that we bear fruit. Um, I'm looking for the remote control. Who's got it? Aaron? It's on the thing? Sorry, here it is. There it is. Thank you so much. Great. So here we go. First thing, here we are. What bearing fruit is. Let's take a look. Look with me there at, verses two, at verse 2. Did you see it there? He says this, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The idea here is, is that bearing fruit is something that Jesus wants his disciples to do. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what example is the counterpart? If the metaphor is bearing fruit, what is that representing? You see, what is the thing that the metaphor is representing? And what it's talking about here is actually two different things. And I want to put it underneath the heading of external and internal. Something that is external and something that is internal. Bearing fruit, first of all, externally means this. Did you catch it there? I don't know how far we read um, on our sheet. Sorry. Um, but if you look in verse, do y'all, what's the verse ending? Eight? Mm, dang, that's not good. Let me read you a couple more verses of the Bible. Um, in verse 10, it says this. If you have your Bible, you can go there. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And in verse 11, it says, These things that I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. And then again, in verse 16, it says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Why is all this important? Because Jesus is saying that what fruit is, is these external things, these external realities. It speaks to what we are to do if we are followers of Jesus. And that, y'all, Jesus conceives of as fruit. I'll, I'll list them out there. This obedience to Christ that we find in verse 10, if you obey my command. This idea of experiencing Christ's joy. So think about that. Bearing fruit is an experiential thing. It's about, bearing, it's about knowing Christ's joy. And it's also about mission to the world and loving one another. That's the external reality. That is, get the vision there of, of grapes growing and seeing that fruit being grown there. But secondly, what bearing fruit is, is also internal. And it, revol- and it talks about character change. Who we are, in other words. If the external is what we do, the internal is about us. It's about internal change. Think about it like this. Healthy fruit can only be produced by what? Healthy branches, right? Healthy fruit can only be produced by healthy branches. And healthy branches will produce healthy fruit. That makes sense? 
Healthy branches will produce healthy fruit. Because by definition, right, a healthy branch is one that produces healthy fruit. Just as you cannot have healthy fruit without a healthy branch, you cannot have a healthy branch that does not produce fruit. So here's the, here's the way this is going. Jesus is the vine. If you've ever been, has anybody ever been to a, a vineyard and seen wine, the way it's grown? Okay, a few of y'all have. The way it gets, there's a central vine that comes up out of the ground like this. And then at about three or four feet, it begins to shoot off branches that are trellised that, the, that the, the gardener has put up and it runs these, this is called the branches that run like this. And then as they're wrapping around the yarn or the wire, they begin to sprout out leaves and underneath them is where the grapes grow. So the image is fruit, branches, vine. The idea is, is the only way that the fruit is healthy is if the branches are healthy as well. In other words, I think this is a great little summary. It says this, that healthy fruit is both the product and the proof of healthy branches. Healthy fruit depends on a healthy branch to produce it, but equally a branch needs fruit to demonstrate its health. That is why if you want to know how well a vine or the branches are doing, you have to look at the fruit. In the same way, bearing fruit, y'all, is the key way that we can determine the health of the Christian. D.A. Carson wrote this. He says, The fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering, persevering dependence upon the vine, driven by, phrase, by faith, embracing all of the believer's life and the product of his or her witness. That fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence upon the vine, driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life and product of the witness. Now, what does all this have to do with anything? Very simple, and I know this is on your page. Verse 8. Verse 8. What is the whole purpose of the branches bearing forth fruit? John tells us. Jesus puts, John puts it on Jesus' lips there, and he says this. He says, By this, that is, by the bearing of fruit, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Does that make sense? The whole reason that you and I, if you are a Christian, are called to bear forth fruit is to bring much glory and fame and honor to the vine dresser. You can barely see it. Um, Aaron, can I just get you to pop that light off there? If you saw Instagram this week, uh, I'm so proud of this. But look at this, y'all. You see this? This image is beautiful. And I'm going to tell you why it's beautiful. Look at the hands. Look at the hands there. The sleeves are rolled up. The image is of a vintner. The image is of a, a, a vine dresser who was long at work. Do you notice the fingernails? They're cut back because he knows that when he works, right? When he labors, dirt and grime gets under him. He's seasoned. Do you see it? He's seasoned there. Now look at the grapes. They're about to pop. They're so plump and so full. And what else? Do you see that the, the, the vine dresser can't even get his hands around them all? They're so, they're so productive. This is the image that John is trying to get our heads around when he says, for the Father's glory. 
that the, that the vintner, the, the vine dresser, will be made much of because of his labors, because of his work. That's a beautiful picture there, I think. If, if, you, uh, if you, you know, you can steal it from I'll give it to you, whatever, but it's great. Can we do that quote already? There it is, bearing much fruit. Okay, good. Now, what, what, why do I tell you that purpose? Because here's what I want you to see. If the purpose of bearing fruit is primarily about the glory of God and the good of the world, as we have just talked about, then what that means, y'all, is this, is that the Christian life, therefore, is not primarily about living some sort of moral superior life. You see, if you are investigating Christianity tonight, wondering what it's all about, you must see that Jesus is not saying either of these things. Clean up your life and I'll accept you. Nor is he saying the goal of the Christian life is nicer, cleaner ethics. No, Jesus did not come to give you a better set of principles to improve your life. This is very challenging. But this is challenging too to Christians because it means that the purpose of your life, are you ready for this? Listen, if you are a Christian, listen to me. The purpose of your life is not your life. It's not your life. It is to make much of the Father and to bring much glory to Him. But how? By bearing, by bearing fruit. Jesus didn't come spitting out platitudes and moral lessons to live your life by. Jesus didn't come to be your genie to give you the life you always dreamed of. Instead, He says this, what bearing fruit is all about is bearing the fruit that is consistent with the vine's nature. A grape produces grapes, not peaches, right? A grapevine produces grapes, not bananas. The idea there is Jesus will always upend the meager dreams and the meager desires that you have for yourself. Bearing fruit isn't about giving you an easier life. I'm telling you, if you are not a Christian, please hear me say this. If you, decide, if you're, if you become a Christian... Your life does not magically get all of a sudden easier. If somebody tells you that it does, they are lying to you. It's not true. God gives us joy, yes. But He actually takes our life. He says, and this is a wonderful quote. I want to read it for you. He says this. Lots of C.S. Lewis tonight, so hang with me. Listen to this. Read this. Ah, he's talking about Jesus. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents, and your money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come, I love this, I have not come to torment, frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. (laughs) No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. That, dear friends, is what Jesus is up to. He aims to come and to dwell and to abide as we're about to see. And so if you see this, Jesus saying, I will take you, if you think, that you can say to Jesus, Jesus, I'll take you into my life because I want a boyfriend. I'll take you into my life because I want a girlfriend. I'll take you into my life because I want a really good job. Jesus says, I-, I-, I won't be had like that. 
I'm sorry. You take all of me. And I get to have reign and rule in all areas of your life. And I just think, dear friends, some of y'all are living on the fringes saying, Jesus, that's fine if you want to come in and tell me this, but don't you touch this. Don't get your nitty-gritty hands off of my life in this area. And Jesus is saying this. You're called to bear fruit for the glory of God. That's the image tonight. Well, we've answered this question about what. Secondly, we're going to have to move a lot faster. I told you it's going to be ten sermons in one. How, uh, how tonight, how in the world, how in the world does bearing fruit happen? And I think two things you have to understand about growth first. First of all, you have to know that there are two types of growth. That which is what I'm calling additive, additive growth, and that which is organic growth. Now, additive, what do I mean? I mean that sort of growth, if you go back here in Tanglewood somewhere, you're going to see a house that's got the foundation built up. And then you're going to go back six weeks later, and there's going to be wood frames up. And then you're going to go back six weeks later, and they're going to have the brick up. That is additive growth. It is by adding new things on the outside, making the external thing happen and go and grow. Additive growth. Organic growth looks more like this. Organic growth looks, if you come to my house, and... um, you pick up my youngest child, that girl has got some chunk on her, y'all. She got some chunk on her. She got some little thunder thighs, and I love squeezing them to death. They're awesome. Um, but if you try to put her in her baby clothes that she was like a couple days old, you would notice something. Same person. Same exact person. But she's grown. She's grown from the inside. It's an organic sort of growth. And when the Bible is talking about this vine imagery, imagery, it is talking about organic growth. It's talking about growth from the inside. It's like a tree grows, right? You don't make a tree grow by throwing more wood and leaves on it. No, the growth takes time. It happens over time. And here's how this is telling us. Jesus is saying this in verse 5. Take your eyes and look there. Verse 5. He says this, that the way that growth happens is by abiding abiding in Jesus. Now, abiding is a weird word. It's not a word that we use a lot, but it simply means this. It means to remain. It means to to live in or continue, to, to dwell. That's what that means, to stay. And Jesus is saying this, if you want to grow, the way that growth happens is by in living, vital communion and connection with me. And this brings us, dear friends, to a vital, vital point in our theology. It brings us to a phrase that most of y'all, sadly, if you've grown up in church, have probably never heard anything of, and you need to become well, well acquainted with it tonight. It's three little words that will change your life. Here they are. Union with Christ. Union with Christ. It is the way the Bible speaks about your relationship to God. You are united to Him. You are in Him. Paul the Apostle, he never once says the word... Uh, i got to be checked on this. Check this part on the tape. If it's bad, get it out. Um, so I'm going out on a limb here, pun intended. Thank you. I'll be here all night, folks. Just tip your waitress. Um, here's the deal. <laughs> you like that? Um... Focus, Ryan. Focus. Where the heck was I? Paul, thank you. Paul never calls. He, he, he never refers to you as being his Christians. You are in Christ. 
You are in Christ. It's this imagery of union together with Christ. It's very, very important. And I love this quote. It comes from uh, one of the greatest theologians that the church has ever seen, a man by the name of John Calvin, and he says this. Listen, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Useless. What this means tonight is this. If you are not a Christian tonight, Christ is useless. All the thing that He has done for you means it matters none. It like You can't access it. Does that make sense? There's no way to find salvation, no way to find joy, no way to find life, Jesus is saying, apart from Him. The only way that that can be found is by vital union with Him. The way that a vine is connected to branches. That's how, that's how the imagery is. It is mysterious, the theologians will tell us, but union with Christ is something you must begin to grasp because if you are not in Christ and Christ is not in you, if you are not abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in you, all that Christ has done remains outside for you and you have no access to it. That's why it's so important to understand what it means when the Bible talks about union with Christ. Therefore, this is telling us, y'all, that we grow by abiding in Christ. The Father has loved the Son, and the Son has loved the Father. And guess what this is telling us? That the Father has loved us. Verse 9, I cut it off and I shouldn't have. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Let that sink in for a second. As God the Father has loved the Son with that degree, with that intensity, with that same substance, the Son is saying that I have loved you if you are in me. That ought to radically shake your bones because it is so profound, the depth of Christ's love for us. Let me put it like this. Let me put a point on it. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you tonight. If you are a Christian, you must, I want your ears to perk up. If you are a Christian tonight, Christ is in you and you are in Him and He is at work in your life. Paul says that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is Philippians 1.6. Why do I share that verse with you? Because of this. No matter what may be gripping your heart, Christ by nature of your union with Him has promised you the benefit and the gift of your sanctification and being made like Him. God never begins a work where He doesn't intend to finish it. He always finishes what He starts. So what that means is this, no matter where you are today, I don't care how bad your porn addiction is. I don't care how bad your gossiping tongue and your tendency to throw other people under the bus is. I don't care how bad you are consumed with the idol of your own body size and the approval that it gets you. You are not, by God's grace, who you once were. And you are not, by God's grace, the man or woman that God is making you in to be. That is the promise of union with Christ. That Christ never quits the work 
that He begins in you. So I urge you, for your joy's sake, for your your assurance sake, and for your for yeah, I can't. I mean, it's so massive. Understanding that you are in Christ and Christ is in you, and you have all of the benefits of His redemption presently. We could stop and go home right now, but it's so profound. Listen, y'all, last little oh bitter dictum. Man, <sighs> okay, I'm just trying to say too much tonight. Um, listen, I want you to see this, that deep theological roots weather the hurricanes of life. You want to be able to face your own sin. You want to be able to face your own suffering. You must understand who you are in Christ. And you must understand that Christ is in you and that you're in Him. If you're, if you're a Christian, that's what you have. That's what it means to be a Christian. I want, you to, I want you to see that. Okay, we're going to speed up a little bit here. And if you have to go home, then that's all right too. Here's what I want you to see. Lastly, why bearing fruit matters. I think I can get through this rather quickly. I want you to see this. That why it matters that you bear fruit is told to us in verses 1 and 2. And that is this. That you bearing fruit, that you bearing fruit tells you it displays the nature of your abiding. I said it earlier like this. That good branches bear fruit. Real branch branches bear fruit. Branches that do not bear fruit, are told, we are told, are, are cut off and thrown away. And they're burned in the fire. They're consumed. And what that means is this, y'all. It means two things. One, it means that the blade cuts both ways. The blade cuts as it prunes. What is that? What is pruning? Pruning happens to every single Christian. God will cut back things in your life to make you more like Him. He will withhold things. He will bring what feels like hard circumstances in your life to shape you and to mold you into being more like Jesus' character. And that, my friends, is called pruning. But he also, the same knife hits the other branches and they're cut away. Now, does that mean that if you are ever in Christ that he cuts you out? I do not think that's what John is teaching us at all. I do not think that. I do believe that other passages of John tell us that when God, when Christ holds you, you cannot get out of his hands. So I do take this to be people who sort of are are um, they're you know they're pretending they're they're putting on a show they're folks that that don't bear fruit there it is the, the metaphor speaks for itself a couple other things that I wanted to show you is this I want you to see that um, I want you to see that the hard things that Christ often brings in our life are meant and encouraged are meant to encourage us to grow there's a wonderful song by the by the hymn writer John Newton that I want to walk you through. He wrote this. He wrote a song called, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. And I'm going to walk us through it because there are times in your life when you're wondering, I want to grow as a Christian. I'm trying to understand more. Why does God bring the hard things in my life? Does that sound familiar? It does for me. Listen to what the psalmist, the, the psalmist writes here, the guy who writes a psalm, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace too, by the way. He said this, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, that I might more of His salvation know and seek more earnestly His face. Here's the request. God, I want to know You more. And I've asked Him about it. Second, "'Twas He who taught me thus to pray." In other words, you're the one that taught me to pray this, God. And He, I trust, has answered the prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. 
You see, I hope that in some favored hour at once, just at one like that, he'd answer my request. And by his love's constraining power, that he would subdue my sins and they would give me rest. Instead of this, instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And he let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more. In other words, and even more. With his own hand, he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs that, that I schemed. <clears throat> I schemed. He, he, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I've got a different version than you do. But then cast out my feelings, and he laid me low. And this is where he begins to take up his own voice. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Are you going to kill me? And then the Lord responds, "'Tis in this way the Lord replied, "'I answer prayer for grace and faith. "'These inward trials I employ "'from self and pride to set thee free "'and break thy schemes of earthly joy "'that thou mayest find thy all in me.'" I want you to know that the vine imagery that we talked about from the Old Testament, that there's very important language in Isaiah chapter 5 about this vine. The vine was to be Israel. The vine was to be the thing that flourished. The Lord Himself planted this vineyard, and it was to be for the blessing of the nations, the blessing of the world. And sadly, Israel failed. They didn't do it. They weren't the blessing that they were called to be. God's people failed. And because of that, God speaks in Isaiah 5 through 8 about his judgment that he will now bring because of their failure. The vine is going to be punished, in other words. And what I want you to see is this tonight, that when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he means it in two senses. Dear friends, he not only is the vine that has come to give life, but He is the vine that took the judgment, that took the judgment for Israel's failings. That He was the one that took our failings. And so, in other words, the vine that gives life is the same vine that takes the judgment. Jesus, the true vine who bore our judgment, now gives us life. Y'all, in closing, I want to see this. I want to show you this. I want to see, show you that C.S. Lewis, this is my last quote on him, and we're going to wrap it up. I want you to see this, that Jesus is out to utterly remake and utterly redo us. And this comes home in a quote from uh, Mere Christianity, where this is quoted in my wedding. I love it. I will forever remember it, and I want to share it with you tonight. The image is of us being transformed to bear fruit. Here it is. The imagery changes though. Metaphor changes. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what He's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and it does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. 
throwing out a new wing here, putting out an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Y'all, that's the project that Jesus is doing in your life if you are in Him, that you might bear much fruit. This is what Christ is up to. He is aiming to make the Father's glory great by abiding in you. There is no greater calling. There is no greater destiny. There is no greater promise. Christ dwells within you and you in Him for His glory and for your joy. Let's pray. Our Lord, these are heavy things and weighty things. How could it be that you would take up residence in us? Thank you, Father, that you have given us Jesus, that he is the one that has borne forth as the vine our judgment, that we might know life. This is such good news. We pray that you would take it into our hearts. Make it real there, we pray. In your name, amen.